The Old Testament reading for this, the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Malachi, the fourth chapter. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And this is the word of the Lord. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The epistle reading comes from Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica, the third chapter. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not weary, do not grow weary in doing good. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel that serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes to us according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. 
Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let those who are out in the country enter it. Let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Not exactly a comforting speech from Jesus today, is it? As he talks about the end of the world, he describes all these terrors and catastrophes that are to come. And it doesn't exactly fill us with that warm, fuzzy feeling that we sometimes come to expect from Jesus. Instead, it fills us with fear and anxiety, with heartache, even a little bit of terror. We hear the words of Jesus telling us of all the destruction and persecution and horror that is to come, and we kind of ask ourselves, is this what we have to look forward to? 
Is this going to happen to us? Will there seriously be all these disasters and catastrophes in our future? Now some people say no. Of course that wouldn't happen because God loves us. He wouldn't let something like that happen. Some people try to write this off as figurative speech, saying that Jesus is talking about, yes, there are bad things in the world, but clearly he's not speaking literally here. But they do so with no evidence whatsoever in the scripture. They do it simply to soothe their own minds, to convince themselves that these kind of things won't happen. And why? Because they don't want them to happen. The fact is, nothing here indicates that Jesus is speaking anything but literally. Others try to say, yes, these things are going to happen because Jesus has said so. But they will only happen to the unbelievers, to the rank pagan, to that great them out there, and I as a Christian am safe. They think that their faith, true faith in Jesus, will magically protect them from all these calamities, and that a real believer wouldn't have to endure such horrors because God loves us. This is exactly how they invented the notion of the rapture, that all the true believers in the world will be swept up before the great tribulation comes, and then just those unbelievers will have to endure some pain and suffering with nobody there to tell them about Jesus. Nothing in the Bible says anything close to this. It's all made to make us feel better, to assume that this wouldn't happen to us. But that's not the case. Jesus here, in our Gospel reading, is speaking specifically to believers, to his disciples, to those who have followed him and are asking him for guidance on the end times. He says specifically that we will be hated for his name's sake, that we will suffer because we are Christians, that we will be brought before kings and governors to bear witness of our Christian faith and quite possibly to die for it. And so no, we can't pretend this isn't going to happen to us because Jesus is specifically speaking to us. The harsh truth is that Jesus here is speaking truthfully and he is speaking literally and he is speaking to us as Christians. As the end of the world draws near, these calamities and terrors will happen and they will be truly terrible. And as they happen, even as Christians, in fact, especially as Christians, we will be affected by them. And let's face it, that's not exactly a comforting thought. As we look around the world today and we see so many terrible and horrible and awful things happening far, far away, we give thanks that we are not being affected by many of them. Wars and bombings, earthquakes and hurricanes, natural and man-made disasters, we are rightly thankful that our lives, for the most part, are not directly afflicted by those things. Because even just the thought of our comfortable, luxurious world being torn apart at the seams, like Jesus describes, that's troubling. Imagining the terror and pain that Jesus here is talking about, it's something that we would really rather never do. But we should, and we have to, for a number of reasons. 
Number one, we need to realize that there are Christians right now who are living in these conditions. People who are being truly persecuted for their Christian faith, living in war-torn regions, wondering if tomorrow will be the day that they are hauled off to die a gruesome death for their faith in Jesus Christ. Our Christian brothers and sisters in many places in the world, in the Middle East, in Africa, in parts of Asia, they are living out what Jesus is describing in our reading today. When we complain about whether it's a little too hot or too cold in the church, they're huddled together in fear, praying for God's hand of protection. While we squabble with one another about petty differences and slights and say, I'm persecuted at work because somebody giggled when I said Jesus, their loved ones are being mourned because they were stolen from them in broad daylight. As we gather together in safety and comfort, taking God's word and protection for granted, saying, eh, maybe I'll go next week because i got a lot going on right now, whining that the service might go a few minutes too long, they yearn for the opportunity to stop fleeing for even a few minutes that they might take respite in God's holy word of salvation to comfort their terrified souls and bring them even a bit of peace in their tragic lives. So yes, as uncomfortable as it is to think about such pain and destruction, we need to think about it. And we need to remember that there are those who live it each and every day. We need to include them in our prayers, support them in any way that we can, plead for our government to intervene where possible. That's just one reason why we need to think about these terrifying scenarios. The other reason is to realize that as sinners, that terror, that pain, that suffering, that's all that we deserve. And that's all that we have to look forward to. As sinners, we deserve to suffer such terrors, not just on earth, but for all eternity. Because the fact is, we have broken God's holy and perfect law. Not just a couple of times, not just by accident, but flagrantly, repeatedly, willingly, knowingly, we have sinned. In thought, word, and deed, we have trampled God's righteous word. We take God's name in vain without a second thought. We hate one another without even thinking twice about it. We act selfishly. We lust. We steal. We sit in silence while others suffer. We gossip and we lie. We make crude jokes. We disregard and abuse God's good gifts in our lives. We say, I don't need God's word because the world gives me everything that I need. In all these ways, and so, so many more, we have utterly broken God's law, and we deserve eternal punishment and pain for doing so. Because of our sin... We deserve all the terrors that Jesus describes here and far more. As sinners, we deserve the pain of eternal hell. Unending condemnation, torment and chaos and pain and destruction and heartache. All the comforts and things and luxuries that we have and take for granted, those are not there. We deserve eternal suffering and terror and pain. And as sinners, there is not a thing that we can do about it. We can't work our way out. 
No matter how good we might whip our lives into shape, we will never be good enough to deserve heaven. We only, by our sin, have hell and torment to look forward to. Destruction and pain, sorrow, death, and hell. On our own, because we're sinners, that's what we have to look forward to. Because that's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. And because we live in a sinful world, we know that there will be suffering and pain, maybe even terrible calamity in our future. But by the grace of God, we are given something more. We are given something far better to look forward to. As Christians, as we see the pain and the suffering, as we know that that will come upon us, on the other side of all that calamity, we look forward to the eternal joy of heaven. And we look forward not just with hope, not saying, well, maybe on the other side there's something slightly better. We look forward with certainty. Yes, we will suffer here on earth, and it may be the terrible suffering that is described by Jesus. But even in the midst of all that suffering, we know that our Lord is with us, guiding us, protecting us, forgiving us. And by his grace, we look forward to the gracious gift of eternal life in heaven, won for us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not about how well we endure. It's not about anything that we do, because as sinners, we can only make it worse. But we look in faith to Jesus Christ. He's the one who has done it all for us. He's the one who gives us not just hope, but certainty. He suffered unimaginable horrors, even beyond what he tells us about in this reading, and he did it for you. He who was holy and without any sin whatsoever took on our human flesh to walk among his sinful creation, to be mocked by us, disregarded, blasphemed, and ignored, to be misunderstood and accused and betrayed and tried and convicted wrongly. He was beaten and scourged. He was whipped and spit upon. He was nailed to a cross and lifted up to suffer excruciating pain while the world looked on and laughed at him. All of this he did for you. Suffering under the weight of your sin. Paying the penalty that you deserved. Shedding his innocent blood. Laying down his holy and eternal life as an atoning sacrifice to ransom you from sin and death and the devil. He who is holy and eternal, who suffered and died to pay the price of our sin, to spare us from the eternal horrors of hell that we deserve. In death, he defeated the devil for us, sacrificing his holy life on our behalf so that we could be given the victory of Easter that he himself won. Just as he rose from the tomb never to die again, so too shall this flesh. By his grace, through his power. No matter how bad things get, no matter how many horrors we face in our life, we know the eternal joy that we truly look forward to. Not just in hope, but in absolute faith. Knowing that God's promises are never in vain and that his heavenly paradise is ours. There in heaven we will feel no more fear, no more sorrow, There will be no persecution, no challenges to our faith. There will be no war or disasters, no arguments or fights, no violence, no terror, no fear, no death. 
only the unending, unimaginable bliss of being in the very presence of God, serving Him day and night, surrounded by all our brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoicing for all eternity in His glory. By grace, through faith, this is what we truly have to look forward to. Yes, there will be pain. Yes, there will be persecution and trial and tribulation. We don't deny the words of Jesus Christ, and we don't assume that we will be magically spared from such terrors because we're such great people as the end draws near. We may be called upon to suffer terrible things for our faith. We may soon join with those who currently face such horrors already. We may lose absolutely everything we have, even our lives, as the sinful world seeks to silence the holy word of God. But that's not all that we have to look forward to. Through it all, no matter how bad things might get, we look forward to what Jesus Christ has promised us, what he has prepared for us, what he himself has won for us. We look forward to the eternal peace and joy and rest of his heavenly kingdom, which he has given to us as a free and undeserved gift. By your sin, you deserve nothing but agony and torment and horror, not just here on earth, but for all eternity. And by yourself, that's all that you would have to look forward to. By the grace of God, by his love and mercy, by the faith that he has worked in your heart through baptism and through his word, you and all who believe in Jesus Christ have something far, far better to look forward to. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.